Good morning. How you doing? Good. You smell terrific. Um, as Christopher mentioned, we're going through this series through the book of Romans, Not Ashamed. Last week we started in the first chapter, and we're going to continue through that study of the first chapter. And uh, to be honest, I, I really wanted to skip this one <laughs> uh, because of the subject matter. It is a hot topic in our society, in our world. But I don't want to be the kind of preacher that just preaches the easy stuff. So we're going to go forward with it. But um, understanding that this is an important issue, it's been an issue that's been around, obviously it's in Scripture, the Bible talks about it, and that's what we want to do. We want to see this morning what the Bible says about the issue of homosexuality. And just through this last few weeks, studying this passage and, and thinking through all this, there's no way I can cover all that in one sermon. And so I want to invite you this Wednesday at 6.30 right here in the Commons we're going to have just kind of a, a dialogue. This is more of a monologue, uh, except when you say amen and stuff, which helps. But just kind of sit around and table. There's other things we need to talk about, some questions I'm going to introduce this morning that we'll deal with some today and some Wednesday. So I would invite you to join us. I'm going to have some more resources to provide for you uh, that you may know someone or dealing with this issue. You may be dealing with this issue yourself. So I'll have some more things, helps available to you. But something really cool happened. Every Thursday, our staff gets together out here in the commons, and we, we call it our collaboration time. So there may be a time that I need to sit down with another staff member and work on a project or something. So that just kind of enables that to happen. And this Thursday, I just said, hey, I'm, I'm talking on this subject. I would love to get some input from you guys. And I got to tell you, we have one of the best staff in all the world. I've, I've worked with several great staff. This is the greatest I've ever been with. And so... It was really cool just to sit around and collaborate, hear uh, their experiences, their take, just some of the things that, that they're aware of. And it was super helpful to me just kind of think through some of the different angles of this subject. And so uh, that, that was really great. So I want to kind of do that again a little bit Wednesday with, with other folks to come into the room and deal with some of these issues. So I, I want to make a, a, a differentiation for just a minute because... There are two terms we're going to kind of focus on today out of Scripture, and one is same-sex attraction. It's a very popular term in our world today. The other one is homosexuality. Okay, I know we can debate the meanings of these words, but for this sermon, same-sex attraction is really referring to people who are, as it says, attracted to the same sex but have not followed through tempted in that area, but not given in to that temptation. And I hope you all know that temptation is not sin. We're all tempted in some way. Jesus was tempted there in the wilderness, but didn't give in, and we know that he is sinless. So temptation is not sin. All of us are tempted by something. It may not be this issue of homosexuality, but we're tempted by something. And so sin occurs when we give in to that. Scripture is very clear. So same-sex attraction versus homosexuality. When I use that term, I'm talking about the practice of homosexuality. Okay? So I, I hope that makes it clear. That's the word that the Bible refers to many times. In fact, I just would wonder, how many of you would say, I personally know someone who has identified themselves as gay, um, lesbian, homosexual? How many would just raise your hand and say, I know? Okay, that's just about everybody. In fact, I would almost compare it to if I asked how many of you know someone who's been divorced. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that same, it's a very high number. So it is an important topic that we deal with. The Bible does deal with it. Uh, our society deals with it. 
and our church needs to deal with it. So that's where we're going to talk about it today. And just to say this from a personal standpoint, I don't intend to offend anyone. That's not my goal today, but I know some will be offended. But I hope you know that the Bible does offend. (laughs) Jesus offends. Jesus is known as the stone that many will stumble over. And the reason Jesus, God, the Word is offensive is because we're all sinners. And he confronts us at the point of our sin because God knows how destructive sin is. So it's out of love that he does that, but that, that messes us up because he's dealing with us, right? So my intent personally is not to offend, but I know that you, many will be offended because of the gospel, because the gospel does offend. But it doesn't offend because there's no hope. It doesn't offend because there's no answer. It doesn't offend because there's no forgiveness. And that's the good news of the gospel because we're all sinners. Uh, another argument, uh, even in dealing with this issue, is, well, sin is sin. Why are you singling out homosexuality? There's a whole list that Paul goes through in this passage, and, and that's a great question. And the reason, uh, kind of centering on this one, is because it is so highly accepted in our society. Paul mentions adultery, and I think even in the non-believing community, adultery is frowned upon. I think even in the homosexual community, adultery is frowned upon. So that's kind of a universal acceptance. It's not right to cheat on your spouse, but in our world has accepted it's okay to sleep with someone of the same sex. Okay, so that's one of the reasons kind of honing in on this issue. The other is I think the church has, run a, has done a really poor job of addressing this issue and people who struggle with it. I think we're really good on the shame side, <laughs> try to manipulate people to a response by shaming them. And I think they're probably, and I realize as I talk about this, there'll be people here, people online that are struggling with this issue, and, and they maybe feel shame and guilt, and because of that have not sought any kind of help, just kind of accepted that's who they are. And so I don't want to be that kind of church. I want to be the kind of church that someone can say, hey, yeah, this is an issue for me. Can you help me? Not that we're going to blurt that to everybody, but there's some people that can get help. And you may you may need counseling to deal with this issue. We can provide that. We can provide the helps that you need. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is because Paul talks about that so many people have exchanged the truth for a lie. I think one of the big lies of society in regards to this issue is that we are identified by our sexuality. We've kind of broken the world into two categories, gay or straight. And so our world has identified people by who they prefer to sleep with. And that's not how God identifies us at all. But some have bought into that. Well, I feel this way, I'm attracted to the same sex, then I must be gay. And that's not, that's not necessarily the case. But we've, we've bought into this lie that, well, you look this way, sound this way, dress this way, act this way, then you must be gay. And again, that's not, that's not how God identifies us. And so it's important that we identify people the way God identifies them uh, and that they understand that's, we're not identified because of our sexuality. We're, we're so much more than that. Um, again, it's impossible to cover all the issues, so we'll address this again Wednesday night at 6.30 in the Commons. But here are a few questions just to kind of, hopefully we'll address some today and then some Wednesday. Can I be a Christian and be gay? Can I be a Christian and practice homosexuality? How do you handle it when a, a child of yours comes out and says that he or she is gay? How do you treat a friend who comes out? How do you love a gay person without condoning their actions? Should you attend a gay wedding? Do you allow gay people in the church? So those are just some of the things we'll highlight today in 
Wednesday. Um, so I want to go back to where we were last week. We started out talking Romans chapter 1, and Paul points to the gospel. The term gospel means good news. All right, so that's where I want to start, and that's where I want to end. Paul is very clear, even in dealing with these sins, there is good news. One reason there's good news is because there's bad news, and he deals with both. But because we are sinful, we are all separated from a holy and just God. So sin, we're equal, right? We're all sinners. We're born into sin. We're all sinners. And that's one of the arguments. Why would you talk about homosexuality? It's just a sin among other sins. Yes, it is. But different sins have different consequences. If I, if I tell a lie to you and you find out, that's one, there'll be a consequence to that. If I go steal a car, <laughs> there's going to be a different consequence to that, right? So, yes, sin is sin, but not all sin has the same consequence. Sexual sins have a different kind of consequence, whether it's homosexuality, adultery, fornication, sex outside of marriage, whatever. It all has... Sexual sin actually impacts our physical body in a way most other sins don't, as well as our emotion, our psyche. The gospel also reminds us that we cannot forgive ourselves. We are all dead in sin. We cannot save ourselves. We can't break free from original sin. We're born into sin. There's nothing you and I can do to remove ourselves or forgive ourselves. Only God can do that and thank God that he chose to do it, to give us forgiveness. And homosexuality is not the unforgivable sin. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is rejection of Jesus, is rejection of the gospel. All other sins can be forgiven. We can be rescued. We can be redeemed from all of them. And as Paul pointed out last week in our passage, that God is indignant towards sin, all sin. He hates all sin. And hate is not strong enough to show God's attitude towards sin because he knows that sin has one purpose, it is to destroy. Don't be fooled into thinking your sin is not trying to destroy you. It is. It's very clear. That's its purpose. So God's reaction to our sin is not anger. It is the right reaction from a holy God. It is right that he responds this way. It is necessary. And as Paul said, God is pouring out his wrath now. He was doing it when Paul wrote this letter. He's doing it in our world now. God is pouring out his wrath now. He's pouring out his judgment on the world today. But we know that there is a judgment day coming. And God will separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the believers from the non-believers. But that's not something we're waiting for completely. We're experiencing wrath now. And Paul unfolds that some of these things in our culture are the response or the it's God's judgment on the earth because of sin, because of our sin. But here's the good news that God initiates salvation. Not only does he initiate it, but he carries it out through his power, which is known as the gospel. So he initiates it, and then he continues to carry it out. So the gospel really is God telling of his love for wayward, sinful people. That's why it's such good news. And again, it's such good news because there is some really bad news. And this is where Paul picks up Romans chapter 1, verse 24. <clears throat> Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. 
Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. So Paul makes it very clear. Because humans have chosen to disobey God, not to consider the knowledge of God, God's punishment was to give them over to their sinful desires. So God disciplines in two ways, what he does and what he doesn't do. So the people that Paul is talking about, God chose not to bail them out, not to intervene. He allowed them to suffer the consequences of their actions, which is what we read in the next few verses. You realize sin always has a consequence. Even as a Christian, when I sin, it has a consequence. Now, God has removed the power of sin in my life. I'm not a slave to it anymore. I don't have to do it. But I still will suffer the consequences. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card from God, if you've ever played Monopoly. So he's not saying, hey, you become one of my children. You sin all you want. You're never going to have to suffer from it. No, sin always leads to suffering. Now, I know that I will spend eternity in heaven with God because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, but it doesn't mean I'm exempt and free to sin now because God, as a loving Father, will always punish me just as you as a loving parent will punish your child when they disobey. God punishes us, sometimes by what he does or sometimes by what he doesn't do. So all that was really needed in this experience was for God just to leave them to their own depravity where their sins were leading. So just let me capsulize what we're going to look at these next few verses. God's view of homosexuality. First of all, it is unnatural. Second of all, it goes against God's design for us physically, our des- his design for us in marriage, his design for us as a human race. God has given us something better. God doesn't call something sin unless he's provided something better. So this is where we exchange the truth for a lie, thinking our way, the world's way, is better than what God says. That's the root of all sin, isn't it? God has provided these truths for us, but we say, well, I'm not going to accept your truth. I want to accept my truth because my way is better, and our way always leads to destruction and death. God's way is the only right way. And it also shows the depth of human depravity, how far we have sunk in our sin. So let's talk, look at the first topic. First of all, it's unnatural. And that's the argument, right? I was born this way. We've, we've heard that argument for the homosexual community, those who practice, I was born this way. Look at uh, Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27 Genesis makes it very clear that God did not create people as homosexuals. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, I'm not getting into gender issues, transgender and all that today, but this passage speaks very clearly. God's original creation, his perfect creation was to create us male and female. God also gave us the wonderful gift of sex. Now, there are two categories of people. There are those that God intended to be marriage in a heterosexual relationship and those that are to be single and abstain from sex their, their whole life. Okay, so we can categorize people in that way. God has brought people together as husband and wife in a heterosexual relationship, 
as designed here in the garden, or he's called some to be single for life and not to have sex. Just because you're single doesn't mean you can have sex outside of marriage and that's exempt, right? So even the, even the idea of sex, which is a gift that God has given us, has two purposes, pleasure and procreation. And you can't separate those out. You can't separate one out from the other. That's the purpose of why God, the Bible says that man shall leave his father and mother, the two shall cleave as one, right? The two shall become one flesh. That shows the difference in our design as male and female, but we become one through the sexual relationship and marriage. One aspect of that, emotionally, physically, all that, spiritually, okay? So that is by design. A man cannot become one with another man. A woman cannot become one with another woman. It's not how God designed us. It's not the purpose. Homosexuality did not appear until after the fall. So to go back and say, well, God made me homosexual is not true. People are not born gay, according to this passage, according to what Paul says. It's unnatural. And people say, well, another argument against this passage is, well, when he says natural, he means a heterosexual naturally would be attracted to another heterosexual and a homosexual naturally be attracted to another homosexual. That's not the meaning of the word natural here. The word natural goes all the way back to Genesis, the way God originally created us before sin distorted us. That's what's natural, that a man and a woman together in marriage have a sexual relationship. So bottom line, it is a choice. To participate in homosexual activity is a choice. Again, I want to I separate this same-sex attraction. Same-sex attraction doesn't mean you have to give in. In fact, I, I know Christians who struggle with that. That's a struggle. But they have chosen to be obedient to God and don't give in. And they pray for God to remove it. And for some he has and for some he hasn't. But even the ones he hasn't, God has given them the power to resist that temptation, just as he gives us the power to resist any temptation. Total dependence upon God. But Paul says here that homosexuality is a sign of God's judgment. Again, it's in a list of things, but it is one of the, the results of people who have rebelled against God, who have chosen to disobey God. Homosexuality is a result of that. And, and there's another argument where Paul's talking about abusive homosexuality, abusive relationships, back to, back to the Sodom and Gomorrah idea. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed not just for homosexual sin. There was a, there were a list of sins, but that was one of them. But Paul is writing in a time that homosexuality was highly accepted. In the Roman Empire, many of the emperors were gay. In fact, homosexuality was preferred above heterosexuality. And it was in loving, faithful relationships. It, he wasn't writing against abusive relationships. He's writing a, against any relationship. It's defined by homosexuality. And again, he says, because they've exchanged the truth for lies, and that's the root of all sin. Then he points out that homosexuality shows the depth of human depravity. God sees sin as sin, but certain sins show deeper depravity among us homosexuality being one of those. And Paul makes it very clear, left to our own thinking in our own ways, 
we will all become futile in our thinking and darkened in our hearts because that's the path that sin leads us. Without God in the picture, that would be the result. Because sin destroys their bodies and their minds. Sin destroys. Sin affects our body. It produces premature aging. It produces ulcers. It produces headaches. Living in sin can affect us physically, allowing sin to remain. Decay, even early death. It destroys our sensibility. It sears our conscience. It causes us to lose the ability to reason, to listen to reason. Because what we want to do when we are living in sin, we want to justify that sin. We want to feel good about ourselves. In fact, there are, that's the struggle among some of you today as Christians, and you're looking at this issue and saying, well, praise God, that's not my issue. I'm, I'm so much better off. And what that does, it causes us to ignore our own sin. And that's as big of a lie as believing that homosexuality is okay. So be careful, lest you become judgmental and condemning, because we are all, again, sinners. Look at verse 29 of Romans chapter 1. So here's the result. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So here is the result of not believing. This is the path that people are led down who do not believe. A life absent of God. So they became filled with wickedness. Here are two choices. Right? We either are filled with God, His Holy Spirit, through salvation offered through Jesus Christ, or we are filled with wickedness. And you may say, hey, I know a lot of nice gay people. They're really nice. They're very helpful. And that's not what he's saying here that it makes everybody mean. But again, you can't deny God but be filled with the goodness of God. It doesn't work that way. Again, homosexuality was only one of the sins committed when these people were left to their own morality. As Paul writes this, again, homosexuality was accepted, condoned, and protected. And then he says something very startling. Approve, approving of wickedness is as bad as committing the wickedness. There's a very popular word in our society today, tolerance. There's a tolerant movement. You'll hear that a lot uh, in different groups, even coming against the church. And what's interesting and ironic in some sense is those who are tolerant, the only thing they are intolerant towards is intolerant people. They will not tolerate those who are intolerant, yet they say they are tolerant. So by that, they negate their whole mantra. And so just be prepared. And that's one of the things that, one of the reasons we're dealing with this issue is because we just went through Church Deployed series where we are out in the community sharing the gospel, and we are going to encounter people who practice homosexuality. We're going to encounter gay couples. We're going to encounter Muslims. We're going to encounter people who are anti-God, agnostics, atheists. We're going to encounter all these people. And, and your opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion can't save these people who are far from God. But we need to be prepared to know how God sees this so that we might love them 
and have compassion for them because we understand that they are living a lie that will lead to ultimate judgment and separation from God. That has to be our motivation. So this idea of, no, we don't tolerate sin because God doesn't tolerate sin. That's why we speak out against it. Again, not the people. Jesus died to save the people because God hates the sin. This is where we get into postmodernism, relative truth, right? The world says, you have your truth and I have my truth. Don't impose your truth on me and I won't impose my truth on you. Listen, there is only one truth, Jesus Christ. God's word is truth. And if God says that the practice of homosexuality is a sin, it is sin, regardless of what the world says. Paul says, all those who suppress the truth are lost, and they deserve the judgment of God, and they will receive the eternal judgment of God and separation from God. So here's the struggle, right? As a Christian, how do I respond to those who are homosexual? And that how do I show love, express love to them without condoning their sin? How do I condemn their sin without condemning them? And I get it. That's a fine line. But we are called to condemn sin. We are called. Well, don't judge lest you be judged. That's not talking about sin. (laughs) We don't judge people. In other words, I can't cast you to eternal damnation. But I can say what you're doing is sin, it's against God. In fact, we need to do that for each other. Because even as a Christian, I can get lulled into a false sense of security and think that sin is who I am. Well, I've struggled with this for 20 years, so it must just be a part of me. Surely God excuses that. To say, no, he doesn't. Sin is eating you alive. It is a cancer on your soul. So, but... Condemning sin is not hate speech. Please, Christian, do not let your speech be filled with hate. Boy, we've dropped the ball so many times. Southern Baptist, we've dropped the ball. But condemning the sin of homosexuality really is love talk. It has to be out of motivation for love. As we engage the culture which is a part of our strategy, we have to do it motivated by love. I, I really hope that whether you are gay or straight, that after you hear this complete message, you at least be able to say, that was one of the, the best messages I've heard on what the Bible says about homosexuality. Because I, I hope that you know and sense that what I'm saying is out of love. I'm not pounding a Bible, I'm not hellfire and brimstone in you. I'm just talking about what the Bible says, not even my opinion, but what the Bible says about this issue. We're not to tolerate sin, but we have to approach sin redemptively because God can redeem all sin. God can rescue us from all sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. For those who struggle with this issue, there is a way out. For those who struggle with any sin, there is a way out. There is a way out. Look at um, 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 through 10. Here's Paul writing. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and, and you can include women in this as well, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Listen, homosexuality is serious. We can't ignore it. It is serious. It's serious, and God forbids it. Just like he forbids adultery, just like he forbids sex outside of marriage, just like he forbids sexual, Im forbids sexual immorality. Because that's not what God created sex for. It's hard to hear. Especially if you're struggling with this issue, that's very difficult to hear. And so, so many times people are left with the question, well, if I, if I have these feelings, does that mean I'm not a Christian? If I struggle with this issue, does that mean God doesn't love me? No. <laughs> no. It doesn't mean that at all. Again, it's not how God identifies you. God identifies you different. He has something better for you. And I hope you understand that. So, I began this message with the hope of the gospel. I want to end this message with the hope of the gospel. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's, here's the power part of this verse. And such were some of you. Praise God. And such were some of you. Right here in this passage, Paul reveals to us that you're not born that way. You're not identified that way. You may have been through that. You may have struggled through that. But that is not who you are in Christ Jesus. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is a way out. You can be transformed. You can be set free from the destruction of sin, any sin. I've shared the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, many times with you. That's one of the motivation behind the whole church deployed, talking about radical hospitality, reaching those far from God from radical hospitality. The author of that is Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was a tenured English professor at Syracuse. She was a major leader for the LGBTQ community agenda. Now it's LGBTQ+. Right? And so she was, spoke out, she influenced laws uh, about homosexuality in our society, in our world. She wrote an op-ed against promise keepers. You guys remember that movement? I think it's coming back, where men would gather together for two or three days of a spiritual retreat. Uh, promise keepers came to Syracuse. She wrote an op-ed against it. And there was a Presbyterian pastor in town. He and his wife, they read the article, were intrigued by her writing. She's a gifted writer. If you've not read one of her books, you need to. It's awesome. But they were impressed, and so they just simply invited her to dinner. They weren't there to 
present the other side. It wasn't point, counterpoint. They weren't there to argue the issue. They weren't there to invite her to church. They didn't even talk about Jesus. They just had her over and got to know her as a person. In her book, she says, I came armed to the teeth. I was ready to fight, but they didn't fight. They just loved me. And they invited me back several times, and they got to know me. And because of that radical hospitality from this pastor and his wife, Rosaria Butterfield became a Christ follower. Now, as adamant as she was to promote the homosexual agenda, now she's promoting Christianity. She was transformed, and she was deep, deep, deep into it. She's transformed. And there's a quote from her book, Gospel Comes with a House Key, and I wanted to share this with you. We are called to die to self. Take up your cross. Jesus says, to come to me, you have to die to self. We are called to die to self and our choice sins. Even those who have been our kind company for as long as we can remember. We are called to repent of the indwelling sin that distorts us, the actual sin that distracts us, and the indwelling sin that manipulates us. I love how she puts that. She describes sin in those three levels. It distorts us, it distracts us, and it manipulates us. That is the goal of sin. She makes it very clear, we have to repent of sin, every one of us. In order to come to Christ, you have to repent of sin, turn from sin. It doesn't mean it's not a struggle. It doesn't mean we all don't have our choice sins that trip us up, that temptation that's there in front of us. Again, temptation is not sin. Sin occurs when we give in to temptation, but we all have one, at least one. But we die to that. We resist giving in to that temptation. And we can do that because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So even though you may struggle, and God doesn't take that struggle away, doesn't mean you have to be a slave of that struggle or a slave of that sin. So again, I realize that there are many who struggle with this issue, same-sex attraction, homosexuality. Maybe you're involved in that lifestyle right now. Maybe you're coming out of that lifestyle. I, I don't know. But I want to share just a couple of practical thoughts with you on if you're dealing with this or you know someone who's dealing with it. The first is to uh, same-sex attraction or homosexuality. First, just talk to God about it. He knows already. We can come to God to talk about our sin. He invites us. We don't have to fix it. We don't have to get it right. We don't have to be perfect to come to God. He allows us to come with our sin before him. He loves us too much to leave us in our sin, but we we can bring it to him. If you struggle with this issue, you are not off limits to God. Please know that. And I would even say, ask God to take it away from you. Or if he doesn't, ask him to continue to strengthen you not to give in. The second thing is think about it the right way. I think that's where so many people get tripped up. We don't think about this the right way. People went through a... so many people have gone through puberty, right? And puberty is it's just whacked, right? It's just, man, emotions, hormones, everything's going crazy. It's, just, it's hard to get a sense of anything. And, and people maybe go through a same-sex attraction phase. And because they're not taught to think about even that the right way, they lock themselves in and identify themselves by that. And that's not who they are at all. That was a phase that they went through, a struggle that they went through for a time. It doesn't identify who they are. There was a, a young man in one of my churches that 
you know, we stereotype homosexuals, and so he fit the stereotype. He was very artsy. He was very musical. He was, uh, he dressed really well. He um, spoke with a high voice. He was very effeminate, but he was a heterosexual. But his friends, and some of his friends who were gay, basically convinced him that he was gay. Oh, you've got to be gay. You walk gay. You talk gay. You look like you're gay. You sound like you're gay. You've got to be gay. And he, he really struggled. We, we worked with him. We got him into counseling. He, he was really overwhelmed by that. Thinking, well, I must be gay. Everybody thinks I'm gay. I must be gay. No, he wasn't gay at all. So we stereotype. Don't stereotype people. Stop it. Go back to Jacob and Esau. Esau was an outdoorsman, a huntsman. So his dad liked him better. Jacob loved to stay at the house and help mom do things around the house. So she loved him better. Jacob wasn't gay. That's just the way he was wired. Nothing wrong with the way they were wired. Totally wrong how the parents treated them. But we, we, nature versus nurture versus I think sometimes we nudge people into stereotypes that we've fashioned. So you need to think about it the right way. These feelings you have do not disqualify you. They definitely do not define you. And I would encourage you to seek the support of others, to seek the support of people you can trust that will not condemn you because of your sin, but will help you in that breaking free of your sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in regards to sin. Sin demands to have a man by himself, a person by by his or herself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more extractive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. I think this is where the church has failed. People who struggle with this issue, we've forced you into isolation. We've sent the message, you, you cannot be, you cannot tell us this. You cannot be open about this. You cannot tell us your struggle. Because in the lives of many Christians, in the eyes, in the minds of many Christians, that is the unforgivable sin. But it is not the unforgivable sin. But it's one we just rather ignore. Again, if this is National Coming Out Day, I hope that people will come out. And I hope that when they come out, it will not be in defiance. But they will meet a Christian in that coming out that knows the truth that will show them there is a way to break free from this destructive lifestyle there is a way to be set free people who love those who hate God and I'm not saying homosexuals hate God but in our sin before we came to Christ we all hated God people who love those who hate God speak out because they believe judgment awaits them and are too loving not to speak out. I pray that that is our motivation, that it is out of love. We, we can't keep silent about this issue because we love people too much. It's like, remember years ago when nobody thought smoking was bad? <laughs> every show, every movie, people were smoking cigarettes. Everybody had a cigarette from six years old on. Everybody was smoking, right? Remember, you've seen video stuff. And then suddenly somebody discovered that smoking causes cancer, it's deadly. So now we have labels on cigarette packages by the Surgeon General, warnings that smoking can cause cancer and ultimately death. 
Well, it's the same idea here with homosexuality. Homosexuality will lead to death, depravity, destruction, despair. We cannot keep silent. If we really love people, we have to let them know. Now, that's not the first conversation we have with people. They need to know that we do love them and and that they can trust us and that we're speaking these difficult truths because we do care about them. And we know that Jesus died to save them as much as he died to save us. It's out of love that compels us. And so here's the phrase that we are going to say to define our church. Christopher mentioned it earlier. I want to mention again, you're going to hear a lot of it in the years to come. At First Baptist Burleson, we are pursuing Christ and we are loving people. In a nutshell, there's a lot to that. But we are pursuing Christ. We are in process of understanding what it means to love and follow Jesus. And in that process, we are loving people along the way. All people. The gospel. Is for all people. No one is exempt from the love and forgiveness of Christ. But so many don't know it. So here's the challenge, because I know this is really easy for us to become very judgmental on this one. Well, that's not me, but man, those poor people. I'm not as bad as them, because I don't struggle with that issue. No, but you have your own. So let's start here. In order to be able to love as Jesus loves, let's start by hating our own sin. Can we do that? Bible tells us to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Let's just, let's just take a look inside this morning. We're not thinking about anybody else. You're thinking about you. You think about you. Do you hate your own sin? Have you learned what it means to hate the sin that you have? Because we all have it. And by hating our sin, it'll help us appreciate God's grace even more. And when we learn to appreciate God's grace and forgiveness, we cannot keep silent about it. Because it is available to everyone. Let's pray. Father, this is a toughie. Because it is so prevalent in our world today. It was prevalent in Paul's world. It was prevalent in the Old Testament. We read throughout Scripture that this was an issue. That's why we're so grateful, God, that you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Your word is true. It was true back then. It is true now. It's relevant back then. It is relevant now. Even though it was written thousands of years ago, it still speaks to our world today. And the gospel is a message of hope. The gospel is a message of rescue, of redemption. Though we all still struggle with sin, Yet you do not identify us by our sin. Because of Jesus Christ, we can now be identified as children of God, holy, precious, and righteous. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything you've done. And Father, help us to love that title. That we are children of the King. And help our words to be immersed in grace. But may we be forthright. May we be bold and courageous in our comments and what we stand against. And may we stand against any sin. But may we 
do it with words of love, that those who are involved in those sins would be rescued. God, we want to engage our culture. And we want to engage it with the gospel. And we know that many will be offended. Many will push back. Many will protest. Many will become angry. Many will label us, criticize us, pigeonhole us. But don't let any of that stop us, God. But as we pursue Christ, teach us how to love people. And God, I would pray that if there's anyone hearing these messages that's struggling with this issue, that they would reach out to the right people to find hope and healing. If there's anyone listening to these messages that would, would realize that they've never given their lives to Jesus Christ, they've never claimed Jesus as a leader and forgiver of their lives, never allowed you to forgive them of their sin, never turned from their sin to follow you, that today would be the day. They may have questions, questions, issues, struggles, doubts, but today, God, would you lead thousands to give their life to you today to begin their journey of faith? And may you use us here at First Baptist Burleson to be a voice of truth, to be a strong and courageous voice, to rescue those who are enslaved to the enemy, who have exchanged the truth for a lie that they might be set free as we have been set free. Because we believe that freedom is only found in Christ. May we always point people to you, Jesus. So it's in your name that I pray and I ask these things because your name is all powerful. Jesus Christ, amen.